Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Good evening from Coolidge, Arizona. It is November the 1st, 2018. In our continued, uh, continuing study of uh, Daniel, the Old Testament book of Daniel, episode number 22 in this series, we are in chapter 7. We let off last week in uh, verses 13 and 14, uh, which was, is a good jumping off place for us tonight. Um, and what we need to do is Remember that this entire chapter uh, is the product of Daniel's night vision, okay? Uh, and he describes everything in this night vision, even to the, the, the uh, people that, uh, or people or the entities in heaven that's describing what it is he's seen in, more, uh, in, in a little better way. But... Daniel continues to describe the scene in his night vision. And that's what we have to uh, see it. He is seeing things um, and describing them with words such as beasts and things of that sort. And we find prophetic words in this, in this chapter that we'll run on to tonight. And um, we can expect that. Uh, that's part of understanding prophetic things such as this, is to understanding the prophetic language, the symbolic language, and that sort of thing that's used in all writing such as this. So he is, starts with these words in, chapter, in uh, verse 13. Um, he says, And lo, one coming with the clouds of heaven, as the Son of Man, and he came on to the Ancient of Days and was brought near to him. And that we understand that was to the throne of God, the Father. Uh, so Daniel is seeing the Son of Man coming close to the Ancient of Days, coming up to the throne of God, and um, then continue on in verse 14. We read this, And to him, that is to the one that came upon the clouds, the Son of Man, and to him was given the dominion and the honor and the kingdom and all nations, tribes, and languages shall serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. I want you to recognize here that there's about three ways there that Daniel is trying to impress us with the idea of a kingdom that isn't going to come and go such as the Babylonian kingdom, the Persian kingdom, and the other kingdoms. It has, he has dominion over an everlasting kingdom. Now, that's saying something. It will not pass away, shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. So, I don't know how else you could uh, embolden those words to make it more impressive, but I think he's talking about a kingdom that is uh, not going anywhere. There wasn't anything in those days nor today that can capture even a fraction of that, or at least not enough of a fraction of measure. That's right. That's right. Just think of the, our own history. We know as world history, the history of the 
the countries all over the world, and uh, some of them are ancient. Some of them are like our own country here in America. Uh, we're nowhere near uh, an ancient country in any way. But this this is what's intriguing about this, and you got to understand that these words were written um, 500 years before the birth of Christ. So the Jews had access to these words and these readings, these prophecies, long before the Messiah came. And now we have added another 2,000 years on there. So we should be able to look back and feel pretty comfortable about this. I want to add to what I just read here in verse 13 and 14 and give you another parable tonight from Luke chapter 19, verse 11 and 15. And you see, these parables are describing things that are like the kingdom or uh, are, are part of uh, what Jesus is trying to impress upon the people uh, concerning the, the, the kingdom of God, the kingdom that was coming upon them. And Luke 19, starting with verse 11 through 15, and as they heard these things, remember Jesus is speaking, he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they supposed, that is the Jews supposed, that the kingdom of God was immediately to appear. Well, they were hoping at least, right? In verse 12, he said, Therefore a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called ten servants of his and gave them ten pounds and said unto them, Trade ye herewith till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent uh, and ambassadors after him, saying, We will not that this man reign over us. And it came to pass, when he was come back again, having received the kingdom, that he commanded these servants unto whom he had given money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by trading. Now, I'm going to stop there in a parable. The important part of this parable is the description of the fact that someone came to inspect the kingdom and the people didn't like their ruler. Jesus is talking about himself here. And he was sent. Now, Let's look at two other passages, Matthew twenty one forty three. And we've read this maybe even last week. Here Jesus is speaking to the same the same Jews, close to the same time. And he says, Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken away from you and shall be given to a nation, bringing forth the fruits thereof. Now, do you suppose the Jews understood the full weight of this saying? Remember, these are the people that wanted nothing to do with the kingdom that was going to be headed by Jesus of Nazareth, you see, because they were, they were threatened. Even though they all spoke about the coming Messiah, and they looked forward to the time when it came right down to it, you see, when one came to them with the teachings and with the terms that God had set for this new kingdom, they weren't all that interested. Now, the kingdom was to be taken from them. And that was just the end of the... the uh, the end of the story. We're going to read another verse tonight 
a little later on that's going to show forth that this was prophesied in the Old Testament by Isaiah. In Matthew 28, 18, Matthew 28, 18, Jesus speaking again to the apostles, and he says, And Jesus came to them, the apostles, the eleven, and spake unto them, saying, All authority hath been given unto me in, in heaven and on earth. You see, we're, all, we're dealing with the same time frame here. That's what I'm trying to get across. The kingdom cut from the stone without the hands of men during the time of the fourth beast was now upon the people of Israel and many things were transpiring. And that's heaven singular and the earth. That's right. That's a heaven specific, singular. specific mm -hmm. part of earth. Yes. And remember the heaven and earth comments uh, are not necessarily... <laughs> uh, He's talking about his, his oversight of the kingdom of Israel, mostly, and, and especially all things to do with the Jews, as is Daniel. Remember Daniel? His people, that's what we're talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about and who he's talking to. All right, so let's move on to chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Starting with uh, verse 15 through 21. I'll read it and then we'll talk about the verses and the things within those verses. We're going to rejoin uh, the narrative of Daniel there in Daniel's night vision. Of course, I'm reading from the Septuagint because it's got uh, a, a, little better, uh, a little better translation than our English Bibles, even the best ones. Uh, the really good English translations are also about 250 years old, and that makes them a little difficult to read sometimes since they use words we don't use. But it begins, as for Daniel, as for me, Daniel, he's making sure we know who's speaking, my spirit in my body trembled, and the visions of my head troubled me. Uh, once again, we see how descriptive he is of how, what's going on with him. Uh, we just don't see this normally, but he's very, he's very much into this for, for good reason. And I drew near to one of them that stood by. This is, remember, this is in his vision. And I sought to learn of him the truth. By the way, the Septuagint uses the word certainty there for truth. That's a little bit different concept, but it's cleared up a little later. To learn of him the truth of all these things, and he told me the truth and made known to me the interpretation of the things. That is the things that he had seen. These four beasts are four kingdoms. Now, we're going to go over that again, see. That shall rise up on the earth. And those are kingdoms of men. Verse 18, which shall be taken away. Wow, that's the first time we've heard it put just like that. And the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess it forever and ever. Boy, there's a lot in there. Let's move. Let's let's go to through verse 21. Then we can deal with it verse by verse. Then I inquired carefully concerning the fourth beast. See, we're back to this. For it differed from every other beast, exceedingly dreadful. Its teeth were of iron, its claws of brass, devouring and utterly breaking to pieces. And it trampled the remainder. That is the remainder of the other kingdoms with its feet, and concerning its ten horns that were in its head, and the other that came up, remember that's the eleventh horn, and rooted up 
some of the former. Uh, there again in the Alexandrian Septuagint, it, it says the three former horns, which is a little more accurate to the given history. The three former horns, which had, and, and this fourth or eleventh horn, had eyes and a mouth speaking great things, and his look was bolder than the rest. I beheld, and that horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, that'll be, we'll stop there. I want to tell you, though, the word saints here. We have two groups of saints uh, in the time period that's being spoken of here, which is the time of the beginning of the church in the first century A.D. That's the time frame of what's being looked at here. And, and, and before that, in the earlier, in the first, the first century, on both sides of zero, if you will. Saints refer to the Jewish people that God had a covenant with. Saints, especially in verse 21, refer, <coughs> refer to the children of God that are in Christ. All right? Now, some of those were Jews that had converted, but also we have, uh, we have uh, Gentiles involved in being saints at that same time. Specifically in, uh, Specifically in verse 22, when he's yeah. talking about giving judgment to the saints. Yeah, and giving judgment to the saints in verse 22 is speaking, there again, more of the Jews. They were the one under judgment. And that we find in Revelation. So... <clears throat> Verse 16, Daniel's asking again to learn the truth and the, or, or the word certainty. Now, I don't like the word certainty because certainty eliminates faith. Mm -hmm. But in this case, it's really just talking about a clear understanding of what was seen, okay? To be certain about what is seen. <clears throat> but it's also translated truth. Because it goes on, um, it goes on to say in this night vision, and it's important for him to know the truth. He's making it clear. He wants to know the truth. He needs to know the truth. Why? Because he wants to bring some contentment to his spirit. Yeah. A spirit, his spirit, which 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 was not easily rattled. His spirit. That's right. He. <laughs> He, he's been through a lot. But these things that he's seen were very disconcerting to him. And the reason is, especially with the fourth beast, he keeps coming back to the fourth. Why? Because he knows of the, the, the issue of how the fourth beast is taking part with his people in the future. Specifically, even, you know, having seen the first and second come. That's right. Remember, he's seen these things before other, in other manifestations, uh, and he's, he's putting this all together, but he wants to put it together so he really knows. And I think that's, uh, that's a human quality that we have. Uh, we're seeking the truth, or we should be. So then in verse 17, I like what he said. He told me the truth. Now, we can put some uh, weight on that. He wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. And the person that told him the truth was a person that was in his night vision. As John was told things in Revelation, in a vision, the same way thing that we have here. Yes? Where are you talking about? And he told him the truth. That's 16. Verse uh, Verse 16. Yeah, for verse 16. Yeah, I said 17, but it's... 17 per pertains to verse 16. He told me the truth. That is the one that was standing by. He's not named. It's not important. Uh, if he's there, 
if he's there, he's there to talk to Daniel. Now, Daniel tells us that he was told the truth. We can turn that around now for us. Do we, do we accept this as the truth? Because there seems to be a lot of uh, uh, idea out there that this is a take-it-or-leave-it type of situation. When it comes to Daniel and the prophecies, they're either too hard, they're too confusing, or they're... They're too simple, they can't really be true. You know, it goes on and on. Or what is it pertaining to? Is it things that have happened or things that are going to happen? See, we have all of this. Uh, but Daniel has been told the truth. See, he's un understanding and seeing uh, what actually is going to happen. Of course, it's in the future to Daniel. Um, but that, not that far a future. Now, the four beasts that he's told about again in verse 17 are the four kingdoms of men. Remember, the kingdom of Babylon, the kingdom of Medo-Persia, the, the, the Greek kingdom, Alexander the Great, and Rome. We know that. Daniel knows that. And as I said here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Josephus knows that too because he wrote it in his book. And that's a history book that's 2,000 years old. It's, it's pretty good. So we need to understand that. And if we can see it like that, we can, we can put the historical evidence we find in Daniel to match up with the historical evidence we have in secular history, ancient history as we call it, um, and and we can get some corresponding dates, if you will. And then in the the 18th verse, um, we we find the kingdoms shall be taken away. See, all these kingdoms, all four of them, uh, are are in in this saying will be taken away. Well, you know, all of those kingdoms have, were, are taken away. They're not with us any longer. Uh, they haven't been here for a long, long time. And <clears throat> even the Roman Empire uh, lasted for a, a few hundred years on, as the Bible says that it would, uh, but it eventually also was taken away. But what, it, what remains? What remains is the saints of the eternal kingdom. So the kingdoms that are taken away are the kingdoms of men. And we see here we see here the reference to Daniel 2:44 again because what's left what survives is the never-ending kingdom, the eternal kingdom to to use that that wording. The kingdom of Christ. We know it to be the kingdom of Christ because it, it was cut from the mountain in the time of the, fourth, of the fourth beast. That's the one from God. The, one, the kingdom that was brought uh, to men from heaven. It's the kingdom without end, and they that are in Christ Jesus, the body of Christ, the true ecclesia, if you will, the called out ones, this is where I think everyone would want to be if they understood it. Why wouldn't you want to be in a kingdom that is never-ending, that has no end, that has, that has no tears, no vanity, no sin, no unhappiness? It has only holiness and the presence of God and, and the Lamb, the Son of God, and the saints. That's the kingdom that is never ending. And the beautiful thing about Daniel is, it's the first time that we're actually told when that kingdom has the beginning of it, and that's the kingdom of Christ. And that's back in Daniel 2. Now, do you see how important these prophecies were to the Jews 
of that day and the, and the, uh, and the many days that followed right up to the Messiah. I, I just think these prophecies to them were, were very important. And then in the days of the Messiah, when, when the birth of Christ, John the Immerser that came before, six months, was born six months before Jesus. He's the one that was, would go out into the Jewish uh, realm and in the spirit of Elijah and make the pathway straight for the Messiah. That's John the Immerser, John the Baptist as he's called. And Jesus of Nazareth. And they both preached and taught about the kingdom to come. The kingdom was near. Um, it was at hand, you see. And it was to come upon those that were actually hearing the words of John the Immerser and Jesus of Nazareth. Those people, many of those people that heard Jesus say these things certainly saw the kingdom come upon them. And that kingdom was uh, became a reality uh, in, in the time period of uh, 30 to 33 to clear up to 73 A.D. That was the time period, the formulation of that kingdom. And it was fully established and full grown at the end of that time period, 70 to 73 A.D. And it remains with us. Then at verse 19, we go back to the fourth beast, you see. We're, we're going to understand what this fourth beast is all about, or Daniel's not going to be happy. Um, he inquired carefully. Does that give you an idea of, of how important it is? It should. If I'm, if I'm yeah. not mistaken, they, Dan, Daniel drew near to one of those, and, and this is still in the throne room, correct? Still in the still presence in, of all this that is happening. And so when he drew near, he was told the truth in a broad and, and very, uh, well, in a, in a, from a wide perspective. And That's right. And Daniel is zeroing back in on this very last beast. That's correct. right. And, and let me just add, as far as the, you brought up the idea of the throne room, uh, if you want a, a description of what it's like to be in the presence of God, you can read in Ezekiel. Ezekiel is brought into the presence, into the throne room, and, and saw the wondrous things there. Daniel is seeing it right now, where the thrones are set, and the Ancient of Days sitting on the throne, and other thrones are set. Daniel's seeing this. And John, the Apostle John in, in Revelation, is seeing also the throne room. I believe it's chapter 5 where it starts with a voice from heaven saying to, to John, come up here, you know, an open door and see what must come to pass soon. He goes into the presence of God in the, in the throne room once again and describes all these things. So, that's what's going on here. Not only that, but we're talking about the same time period as seen in, in a future. It was, it was future to Daniel. It was even future to John the Apostle, but only a few years future. So Daniel's very concerned about this one, the fourth beast, because he sees that his people, as they're called, the Jews, are in peril in the days of the kingdom of Rome. And what, what is the kingdom of Rome as it has to do with the Jews? Well, General Pompey, uh, such as the, the city, General Pompey in 63 B.C. brought Israel under the control of the Roman Republic as a general. Why? Because they were, uh, they were out of control. They needed to be settled down. They were having all sorts of problems within the rulers of Palestine. Pompey came and put them under a Roman 
uh, rule. And that lasted clear through the, the 11th horn, the 11th ruler of Rome in this time period, uh, a man named Vespasian, and he was also a general that became Caesar. Uh, and his, his reign began about 69 A.D., and he had control of the Jews, of course, during the war up till about 73 when Israel was vanquished and completely obliterated and was no more. Uh, Vespasian ruled clear till 79, but he would have been ruling over the empire uh, outside of this. Um, so this is the time period, you see, and, and these years have much to do with the, the people of, uh, of Israel, Jerusalem, and all the other cities in that were populated by the Jews. And there was Jews living all over the known world, as a matter of fact, and usually in the larger cities. And all of this inner working with the Roman Empire has to do with, with the people of, of the covenant, the first covenant, the Jewish people. So don't forget that, because that's the concern of Daniel. It's the concern of the prophecy it's the reason the prophecy was given, so that God could let the people know these things. Verse 20 is concerning the ten horns. And the ten horns are simply the kings of Rome, kings, Caesars, whatever they wanted to call themselves. There were ten horns in the head to start with. When Daniel saw it. And then another little horn came up. It was called the eleventh horn. And according to the Greek uh, translation of the Old Testament here, that eleventh horn rooted up, rooted up. Now I think we understand that if you've done any gardening. <laughs> the three former horns. And that's from the Alexandrian text. Um, just as secular history tells us concerning the very, very short reign of days and months of, of Galba, Ortho, and Vitalis, those are three men that ruled um, uh, Rome right after the death of Nero. But all of this time is only around just a little over a year's time. And, and because, you see, Vespasian was in uh, Israel and Palestine uh, prosecuting the war against the Jews. He had already came to Jerusalem. They were encircling the city when he got news that Nero had died and that he should return to Rome. Why? Well, to become the, the ruler of the Roman Empire. Now, these three men were deposed by the friends of uh, Vespasian back in, in, uh, in Rome. And not only the friends, but his family. He had other family back there. Matter of fact, his son, uh, Domitian, who became Caesar a number of years later, uh, was very instrumental in protecting and making sure that things were made ready for the, the, re, the uh, arrival of Vespasian in Rome to take his place and to settle the kingdom. The, the Roman Empire was in a real state at that time. It was in a mess. It was, uh, Nero had been, had, was making and had made many, many very uh, unfortunate mistakes that was costing the empire a lot of money and there was starvation there was everything going wrong Vespasian put those things right in the years to come <clears throat> but as we continue to look at verse 20 this 11th horn is what see now he's describing it even more it's much bolder it's much bolder in word and deed and even in appearance It was supposed to have got the interest of, um, of Daniel. 
And remember, this, this horn is, is saying things. And Daniel recognizes the things that he is saying and doing. He's warring with the saints. And, and, and can see also. And can see. This is, this is quite a vision. And we have to understand just, just what, it, what it represents. It's representing an incredibly powerful ruler, all right? Because remember, all these horns are kings and rulers of the Roman Republic, then it became the Roman Empire uh, during this time frame of Vespasian and Nero and those that came just before. So, and his look was bolder than the rest. That says something. And he goes on in verse 21. We read it. I beheld. Who beheld? Daniel, right? Daniel beheld that horn. That horn is, is representing the 11th horn. That's the one that everyone's seen, you see. It's, it's larger now. It's bolder. It's got eyes. It's speaking. And it's warring with the saints. That is the Jews in Jerusalem and everywhere else. Now, a lot of folks have trouble with the word saints there as it applies to the Jews because most of the Jews that were in Jerusalem at that time, there were many, many, many innocent people, but there were three factions of Jewish uh, armies. There were three separate Jewish armies with three separate Jewish leaders that were trying to become the leader of Jerusalem and depose the Romans, and they were doing a pretty good job to, uh, of it to start with. But they were also warring against each other. So it's hard to say that these are the saints, but remember, by birth, by their birthright. They are Jews. They are under the law. And the promise was for them. The kingdom was for them. Now, they may have rejected the apostolic teaching. They may have rejected the Messiah. As a matter of fact, uh, they were trying to prevent anyone else from being Messiah. Uh, they wanted to be the leader themselves. But, you know, to them, a leader was the king. And they had missed the point completely. But that horn, Vespasian, was at war with the Jews. And he prevailed against them. Well, what's that mean to you? He fought against the Jews. And he actually, not Vespasian, but he went back to Rome. But his son, Titus, who was also a general. Titus continued in the war, and the Jews were defeated, <clears throat> finally, in Jerusalem, and then even on to Masada, which was another fortress that fell in 73 A.D. By the time the Romans got to the top of, of the mountain, all of the Jews up there had committed suicide, so they wouldn't be captured but the Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, kingdom was, was done. The covenant had been fulfilled, and, and many things were happening in the spiritual realm uh, at this same time. And that's who the saints are. But, you see, the idea here is that Titus and Vespasian prevailed against the saints. They defeated the Jews. They destroyed Jerusalem, the city. They destroyed the temple. And they destroyed hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem. And there was, there was still about 200,000 people, according to Josephus, that survived. And most of them were put into bondage and taken down to Masada to build the siege, uh, the siege ramp to find the rest of the Jews that were up there. 
But, but the Jews were being killed in all the major cities of the known world at that same time period and before. <clears throat> but let's remember the words of Jesus. Now let's go back to the New Testament in Luke 21. Concerning these times, concerning the war of the Romans against the city of Jerusalem and, and, and all that had come in the previous months. Luke 21, verse 20 through 24. Remember, Jesus is saying this. This is another prophetic time that... ...that matches up with... I just need a Bible then to... I'll give you all time to turn to Luke 21... Thank you. Luke 21, verse 20 through 24. Jesus said, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near. Does that sound anything like what Daniel is seeing here? Mm -hmm. Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. Now, friends, when we read about days of vengeance, who is the one that's that's uh, causing the vengeance? God. God. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Now, the Roman army is being used as an instrument of vengeance, but nonetheless, that is the root of the vengeance here. And this vengeance is so that all things which are written will be fulfilled. All things that were written in the scriptures of old for the Jews are being fulfilled in this day. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now if we go back to Matthew chapter 20, in verse 43, we find Jesus telling us the, uh, the facts here that were hard for them to hear. Chapter 20, verse um, 43. Well, that's not chapter 20. It must be. It's chapter 21, verse 43. Jesus says, Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit of it. We've heard that verse before, haven't we? A number of times as it pertains to this time frame. Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to Pharisees, scribes, leaders of Jerusalem and, and Judea in general. And he was telling them that they uh, were the builders that were rejecting the stone, that is, the Messiah, the cornerstone. That's what he was telling them, and he completed those words with the idea that the kingdom would be taken from them. And then let's go to, as I promised, back to Isaiah. Because Isaiah, and remember, he spoke <clears throat> 600 years before Jesus was born. In Isaiah 65... This, these whole, these last chapters from about 60 
to the end of the uh, book of Isaiah have to do with um, the, uh, the end times of the Jews. Looking at uh, <clears throat> verse 13. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, this is Isaiah, and God is speaking through him, Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. Behold, my servants will drink, but you will be thirsty. Behold, my servants will rejoice, but you will be put to shame. Behold, my servants will shout joyfully with a glad heart, but you will cry out with a heavy heart, and you will wail with a broken spirit. You will leave your name for a curse to my chosen ones, and the Lord God will slay you. But my servants will be called by another name. That's also found in Isaiah 62 too. Because he who is blessed in the earth will be blessed by the God of truth, and he who swears in the earth will swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten, and because they are hidden from my sight. We're going to go on to 19. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. <coughs> Excuse me. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem for rejoicing and her people for gladness. Remember, that's New Jerusalem. And I will also rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. And there will be no longer be heard in her a voice of weeping and a sound of crying. I'll stop there. It goes on. You need to read all the passage. But... The idea here in verse 13 where it says, Behold, my servants will eat, but you will be hungry. My servants are those called by another name. That is the Christians. And the you here that's being spoken to, of course, are the Jews. Now, there were, like I said before, there was many Jews that had become Christians, but now they were Christians. Now they lived apart from, from that. They lived with, under the new covenant. So you see, God is speaking to Israel in, through Isaiah concerning the end of their covenant and his people called by a new name. That is Christian. That's what we know the new name is now. It's not given here. Now, let's look at Daniel chapter 7, verse 22 again. Well, we haven't read 22, but I want to read it tonight in way of closing because we're out of time. There never seems to be enough time to do this. But in verse 22, it continues. You see, verse 22 is kind of a completion of verse 21. So let me read 21 again and 22. I beheld... And that last horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them until the Ancient of Days came. And he gave judgment to the saints of the Most High. And the time came on and the saints possessed the kingdom. The completion of verse 21 is this that judgment was rendered upon the covenant people, the Jews. And they were destroyed. Now, next week, I'm going to pick up with this thought because we're going to go to Matthew 23 and we're going to find that Jesus warned the Jews that this was, was coming to them because of their attitude and because of the things that had been done in the past. 
And if you want to read ahead, you can read Matthew 23, verse 31 through 36, or, or the whole chapter. And you'll find that this has everything to do with this exact time that has come upon the Jews uh, in the first century. I know we've covered a lot of things this evening. And we've covered a lot of ground and we've covered a lot of years. And a lot of very, very big things, such as the destruction of Jerusalem and destruction of the covenant people, something that is, is called uh, there never was anything as, as terrible and never will be again. That's how it's described in the Bible. So remember, th these, all of these things are much larger than our words or comments. And they, they take a lot of thinking about. And I pray that's, uh, that's what you'll do until we meet again. And let us dismiss in, in a prayer, if you would. We thank you, Father, for your word, for within it we find that you have always spoke to us you have always spoke to your people, and you have always given us the opportunity to make a, a decision that is righteous or a decision that will cause us uh, much suffering. And in this, Father, we thank you for the great free will you have given the people that you have created. And we pray it all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.